Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, well, welcome. One of the ways in which I think Americans have really discovered a new sense of freedom is in healthcare. And one of the ways in which this has happened has been through the the COVID epidemic and the discovery of this new technology, not really new technology, but an emerging technology of telehealth. And we're going to talk about that today. It's something that is really empowering, driving down the cost in healthcare in so many ways. And I'm joined right now by the senior healthcare policy analyst for Americans for Prosperity, uh, Charlie Katibi. Charlie, thanks for being with me. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about COVID and how. Well, let's talk about telehealth first. Yeah. Explain to folks what what does it mean telehealth? What in the world does that mean? Yeah, it just means receiving healthcare <clears throat> virtually, either over the phone or over the video. Any technology that lets a healthcare provider somewhere else deliver care to where you are currently. That's what it's for. And, and it's, that's what it is. And it's revolutionary. <laughs> and there has been the, – the reason this is an issue that mm-hmm. we're talking about it, is that you would think if people wanted to do it, they could do it. But mm-hmm. there's regulations in, in many states that didn't allow telehealth uh, to be used – and uh, COVID changed that. We're going to talk about how COVID changed that. Yeah. But talk about these these regulations <clears throat> that maybe changed uh, or, or stopped people from using telehealth. Yeah. So every state and the federal government, they imposed reams of rules and regulations on, on these technologies, which prevented doctors from connecting with patients through these technologies. And a big reason why was just because those back then that technology really wasn't fully equipped to do what it can do now and people really feared the quality of the care that would be coming down through this technology so is that that was the purpose of the regulation it was just kind of fear of oh well if you're going to get prescribed medicine you need to like physically see a doctor that is that really what drove these regulations years ago it was prescribing medicine it was making sure that when a doctor saw a patient through a Skype call, that they would have all the information either told to them or viewed through a camera. They wanted to make sure that that information was sufficient to diagnose a patient and then deliver a treatment plan. So, yeah, it was a fear that the technology wasn't up to what was needed to actually deliver the best care. So let me uh, let me ask that question. I mean, th- to play devil's advocate sure. for a second – um, is, the, is there enough information for doctors to make those kinds of decisions over a video conference or a video call? At this point, yes, absolutely. Technology, um, the ability to have a Skype call, which even 10 years ago with, with the level of internet connectivity was very difficult. Now you can have that. It depends on the area. It depends on their bandwidth capacity. But really, you can deliver in-person, real-time conversations with a doctor. You can hook up medical devices to yourself and have them remotely monitor your heart rate, your blood pressure in real time. There's really so much more that you can do right now um, that wasn't possible 10, 15 years ago. And we we also have to trust that doctors are, are if they need to if they feel like they need a physical examination of yeah. something, a lump or something like that, 
that they're more capable of making that call and will make that call. Yes. More than a bureaucrat somewhere making the decision that you can't have a video conference, right? Yes. So it's, it's, we're putting that power back into the doctor-patient relationship yes. and getting government out of that, right? Of course, yeah. Like we send doctors and nurses to school for years. We have them train for years for this very purpose to decide what does a patient need, what are their problems, and how should they treat them. And part of that depend, and part of that includes deciding if telehealth is sufficient or if they need to go in person to receive care in a more hands-on way. And and there's other things built into the system that would prevent failures there, right? There's like, you know, if if a doctor did something and didn't examine them, there's there's tort, there's, you know, there's there's legal uh, yes. ramifications of for course. that. So there's other built-in guardrails against uh, you know, bad care, right? Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we're humming along and there's some states that kind of allowed video visits and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's uh, there's other states that just had these prohibitions. Were they just archaic from from before or, or, or what happened before COVID? I would say most states did not authorize them in any way. And doctors, they work with insurers. They work with their different medical boards. They're pretty risk averse. They don't want to be sued. They don't want a claim to be denied. So they rely very much on what the rules in state statutes are, the rules and regulations in their codes to make that permission, give them permission to deliver care in this way. And if those laws didn't prohibit something, they also didn't authorize it. And mm -hmm. that made a lot of doctors and providers very cautious and hesitant to deliver care virtually. So who was fight, who was fighting the changing of the the removal of these regulations? Was it doctors, health insurance companies, others? What? That's a really that's a really good question. I think a lot of it is just lawmakers that just didn't think that telehealth would be very transformative. They did not believe that it would actually worth be worth their time to focus and change on mm -hmm. these laws. It just didn't seem like a big priority. Lawmakers have a very limited amount of time in session. They have a very limited amount of time in the day to work on their priorities. And prior to COVID, they just didn't think it rose to that level of importance, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So COVID comes along. It did. And that like, I mean, there's not a lot of good that came out of COVID, but this might be like one little teeny silver lining of COVID yes. is like, a lot of states were totally unprepared for it. In fact, I use the example of we both work at Americans for Prosperity. When COVID hit and all of a sudden we had to work virtually, mm -hmm. we were we were in an okay position because yes. we all work virtually anyway. We knew how to use Microsoft Teams. We knew how to use uh, Zoom and things like that. Yeah. There were a lot of companies that were like, oh, no, what do we do? Yes. The same thing happened among states. Some states had telehealth, had, mm -hmm. had the ability to do telehealth. Yeah. And they were in a lot better shape. But other states, when COVID hit, their governors had to do like emergency orders that allowed for it. Tell us about that. I mean, it really changed yeah. this uh, in an amazing way, telehealth, right? Yeah. So unlike us, the way that the healthcare system, both at the federal level with Medicare and Medicaid and at the state level, they were not like Americans for Prosperity. <laughs> they have not been delivering care uh, virtually for years. So they had to basically start from scratch. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, doctors and nurses and hospitals, they really rose to the occasion. Once they got that flexibility, they invested in the technology that was needed. 
Um, they started connecting with their patients, and it really delivered a lot of life-saving care. So hospitals, they needed to prioritize their staff on dealing with the sickest COVID patients. So they used telehealth to connect with people who may, may have suspected that they got COVID, people that started un- experiencing conditions. So they used telehealth to triage those people virtually. Um, doctor's offices, they also used telehealth to start connecting with patients to make sure that their care that they were delivering prior to COVID they could still deliver that, um, but from a safe distance to make sure that COVID, the COVID virus didn't spread from patient to yeah, patient. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Actually, in an epidemic, like the, the value of having that tool, yes. that remote tool, like don't come into the office. What are your symptoms? We, okay, we think you have it or, or you don't. Yes. So stay away and don't make everybody in the office sick, right? Absolutely. I, mean, I didn't even think of that, but that, but that was a valuable uh, tool for, for, for so many. Yeah, and it kept doctors safe as well. We needed as many healthy doctors and nurses and staff right. ready to treat the most serious COVID cases, um, and we needed to make sure that they weren't spreading it. And telehealth really did a really great job slowing that spread so that those vital workers could help keep the most the sickest patients alive. So where would we be? I mean, I just thought of this question, but where would we be today on telehealth if COVID hadn't happened? I mean, I'm not sure we'd be anywhere close to where we are in getting rid of these regulations, right? No, we wouldn't. Health, really big regulatory changes in the way we govern healthcare, it happens very slowly most of the time. COVID was a once in a century thing, a once in a century crisis that happened. And telehealth only changed because it was uniquely suited to help deal with it. COVID spread in person. It, it, it spread that way. And telehealth was uniquely suited to keep delivering care and slow that spread. So it was the perfect, the perfect solution for this particular crisis. And yeah, it would not have happened. It would not have spread this way if COVID hadn't happened. Sure. So, so now mm-hmm. we had many governors mm-hmm. who had to implement emergency orders to allow for mm-hmm. telehealth to happen in their yeah. state. Um, some of those are expiring now. Mm-hmm. And does it take action from the legislature in many cases to pass a law that says you can just do this now? Or what, what's happening? Absolutely. Absolutely. Governors during normal times. They just don't have the power to suspend laws that, sure. the, people, that the people elect. Thankfully. Thank, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty thankful for yeah, that. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's up to real policy champions and uh, our representatives in state legislatures and in Congress, by the way, to change these rules. Mm-hmm. When these rules and laws are no longer uh, mo- up to the snuff of dealing with our current situation, sure. it is up to them to really change them and modify them with the lessons that they've learned. I think the COVID-19 crisis provided an excellent lesson to show that those laws were not serving us. In fact, they were making our healthcare system worse and making us sicker. Yeah. Um, the, and these these laws are done are predominantly at the state level. Is that right? That like state. whether or not you can do telehealth is regulated by state Health departments or uh, who regulates all that? It's it's all the above. So state health departments, um, state medical boards, but also um, the federal government. Okay. The Social Security Act, the big law that governs how Medicare pays for services, that governs 
a huge amount of care that's delivered to seniors. Mm -hmm. And that particular law was one of the biggest reasons why seniors could not access telehealth prior to the pandemic. Okay. And was that changed by executive order, by law? Uh, What changed there? It first changed with executive order. So the Trump administration, when they declared COVID-19 was a national emergency, Mm -hmm. they used those powers to suspend all of these barriers that Medicare had imposed. So Medicare, for instance, did not allow you, if you were a senior, to receive telehealth if you lived in a city or the suburbs. It was only for people in rural areas. Huge barrier. Mm-hmm. And it didn't even allow you to receive telehealth at home. It forced you to go to a doctor's office and then connect. And then if you wanted to connect with a specialist, you could. But those are just a sample of some of the real barriers that stood in the way of some of the sickest people in this country, mm-hmm. which are seniors. Yeah. So and I want to I want to get to some of the stories about this uh, as well. But let's talk about the benefits, the the policy benefits, if you will, or benefits, I guess, to people um, who are getting health care mm-hmm. of telehealth. It drives down costs, does it not? It drives down costs hugely. Every time you go into a hospital, you're going to be charged a huge sum of money. You are taking up the time of doctors. You're taking up uh, building space and equipment. Those are huge costs that will be passed to you and your insurer through your deductible, your copay, your premium. And telehealth allows you just to receive really great care and really great consultations from the comfort of your home. It really removes a lot of those overhead costs. Um, So, for instance, just with a primary care visit, primary care visit is probably the cheapest in-person experience you could ever have with a doctor. In-person, that costs 160 bucks before insurance gets involved. Before, with telehealth, that's about a quarter of that cost. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So I had, just a few weeks ago, I had a hand injury, and I talked to a, um, a doctor over telehealth. Turns out it was a total waste of time. However, that was only $55. Yeah, instead of 160 or of whatever. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. And I got that at my fingertips when I had no idea if this was just a sprain or a hand fracture. Sure. sure. So why would insurance companies have opposed, uh, you know, telehealth? If it's driving down costs, I would think they'd want costs driven down. Why would they have opposed this? A lot of people, even people that are deep in the industry, they are very hesitant to allow people to access another option of care Mm -hmm. because of the fear if that if you give somebody more options, they will just rack up more costs. What they ignore, and this isn't just to beat up on insurance companies, because those people exist in, in government as well, and lawmakers who fear that expanding telehealth services will just raise costs. What they don't understand is that when you create the telehealth option, that person is not going into into a hospital or an urgent care center or to an emergency room. I called up that doctor through my telehealth visit because I did not want to go to an urgent care center. Those centers cost – a single visit can cost hundreds of dollars. Um, And so it really is an engine and tool to really keep costs down. Yeah, I have a great example of it, and I want to get to some of the stories of people whose lives maybe were saved, changed, whatever, through telehealth. But, you know, a great example of this and uh, is you know, I travel a lot when I was – I travel with my kids, and it is inevitable to anyone who has kids that as soon as you leave and go on a trip, 
uh, your kids are going to get sick. I mean, that's just a rule of being a parent. So as soon as they do, what do you do? If, mm-hmm. you, if you don't have it, you have to go to an urgent care. You have to go to an emer- uh, emergency room, mm-hmm. whatever. I remember going to Montana as soon as the wheels of the plane touched down. My daughter says, oh, my ears are killing me. What do I do? I have an ear infection. Yeah. And I looked on my phone and found my insurance or my, uh, I think it's called video visit. Mm-hmm. Was it Care First? A care, care First video with video visit. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I got on it. She handed the phone to her. She had the visit from our hotel room within an hour of when we landed. And they said, oh, yeah, you've got an ear infection. Uh, where are you? We figured out what the closest drugstore was. They sent the prescription there. We went and picked it up. I mean, that would have been a disaster if we didn't have that video visit ability. Yeah. We would have gone to an emergency room, sat there for two hours, seven hours, who knows how long, and what that would have done, as you said, to the cost of, of care. That could have easily uh, right. been $800, $1,000 for an ear infection sure. at an emergency room. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So that's, I mean, that's one example of the convenience of what this does and how it frees up people to make those choices. Um but, but there may be people who listen and they say, well, I would never use this. But again, I like to say this, and I've said this on previous episodes, this isn't all about you, right? It's about choice for other people. And just yeah. because you may not use this choice, it, it's still something that is a positive thing that, that other people may want to use this, right? Of course. Yes. Healthcare is deeply personal. You could be a totally healthy person that just undergoes the occasional emergency or you could be a chronically ill person that needs around-the-clock observation remotely, for instance, or around-the-clock really routine visits. And our healthcare system should be geared to catering to both of those people, but it requires a system that's flexible enough and open enough to allow those options to be available. All right. Now, let's talk about some stories because I know you probably compiled a lot of horror stories because we didn't have video visit or we don't have telehealth. But you've probably also got some great stories from people around the country that used um, that used telehealth and it either saved their life or it, it you know, it, 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 it reduced the cost. Get, tell, give us some examples. <sighs> that's a really good that's a really good question. I do know that there, and I'll, I'll send you some some background info on this. There's this one girl I've heard about. She has this really rare condition in Arizona, and she used to her mother used to drive her hours to this specialty hospital, the specialty children's hospital, um, every day for certain treatments, and that was just so incredibly expensive, time consuming. We spend billions of dollars just making regular driving visits to the doctor. But when um, Arizona's governor, I'm trying to remember his name. Doug Ducey? Doug Ducey, yes. Yeah. Yes. When he enacted emergency COVID orders and when he passed a really great telehealth, a permanent telehealth expansion act in 2021, this really allowed that little girl to receive Um, those specialty consultations from the comfort of her own home. Um, Her mother didn't need to take time off of work and spend hours driving her to this hospital. Um, It really was a game changer for her. And when people talk about choices and or options, we're not just talking about, oh, here's a menu. If you like this, that's great. If you don't, that's fine. What we're talking about is the ability to really save 
hours out of your day, save hundreds or thousands of dollars over right. your over the year. Um, that's really life-changing benefits to a lot of people that don't have that much money. And if you're driving down the cost of health insurance overall, yes. you're driving down insurance premiums, which affects every single person. Exactly. Right. Who has health insurance. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, what about rural areas? I mean, this is this is a great advantage to people who live in rural areas who may be a long way from from a hospital, I think of people in in Alaska or you know many much of the Western United States or even you know rural areas in in the Eastern United States. This really does help people in rural areas. It does. It does. Lots of rural areas. I believe eighty million people live in an area that face a shortage of doctors and nurses, and telehealth is really a great way to connect people in those rural areas to either doctors and nurses in the cities of the states that they rely reside in, or even in Doctors allow them to connect with doctors and nurses in other states as well, because a lot of states are really saying, hey, you know, that mental health therapist um, across the across state lines, they're just as qualified as the people that we train here. Why are we restricting our residents from getting the care that they need? So it's really been a really great way to connect the needs that people have with the people that can treat them. And as we've seen during COVID, you don't need to be facing them like we are now um, to actually deliver that care. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's staggering to me to think that we had rules in place or have rules still in some states Mm -hmm. in place that would prevent what is common sense. I mean, it's just common sense that that we should be, there's certain things. We used to have house calls, right? Mm-hmm. Doctors used to come and do house calls. Yeah. Then we got away from that. And, you, you know, I don't know, the, do you know of any doctors in America that still do house calls? Absolutely. You there, do? There are direct primary care doctors that, that every, just do house calls? Yeah. That's part of their, that's part amazing. Of the, part of their contract, that direct primary care contract is on an on need basis. Wow. They'll swing in. Yeah. So we went from that to this more sort of corporate, Healthcare system where you had to go to, you know, an HMO or whatever, and and then now and now it's kind of almost evolving back to the future, if you will, where it's more personal uh, over a, over through telehealth and, and other things. But it's just staggering to me that the reason the the biggest impediment to that is government, It's yeah. government regulation. It was that it was a lot of industry practices that were encouraged by a lot of government policy that sort of took control away from patients, yeah. gave it to the government, gave it to insurance companies and large hospital uh, organizations, um, and really did not serve patients in the way that they needed to. And it's just funny that we're sort of going back to this older practice. Right. But the reality was that older practice was more tailored to the needs of some people. Mm-hmm. Some people, especially if they're really sick, it doesn't make sense to take them out of the place where they're comfortable and the place where they, um, yeah, feel better, you know, to have yeah. them be treated. You know, a lot of hospitals are now delivering acute care through hospital-at-home programs. Yeah. Um, so these, these are all really positive um, updates to a system that really needs um, changes. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. I mean, to, to people who are mobility-impaired, I mean, this is, a, this is an amazing advancement for them. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah. How about specialists? Like, you know, it used to be if you had some, you know, a, a, a terrible back and you need your back 
uh, you know, major surgery on your back or you had a terrible cancer or something like that mm-hmm. and you wanted to see a specialist, you had to fly or drive or whatever to Minnesota mm-hmm. or go to the Mayo Clinic or go here or there. I mean, this really helps in that area. You don't have that. You have almost immediate access to specialty care, mm-hmm. some of the best doctors in the world through this. That is absolutely true. And it equips rural hospitals in rural areas to deal with those crises. So if you have a stroke in a rural area, some it used to be a death sentence. You go into a rural hospital, they don't have stroke specialists. Now what rural hospitals can do is they can use telehealth to dial up, have a Skype call with a stroke specialist in, a, in an urban area who could then advise that staff on how to properly take care of that patient. Yeah. I mean, it's revolutionary. What what have I missed? What are some of the other benefits of telehealth that I've that I've kind of not hit on this? I mean, I, I'm thinking of some as we as we're talking. Yeah, here, like I mean, the mobility impaired patient. But but what else? I mean, I think the I think we've really hit on the people that would benefit the most: seniors, people in rural areas, really the chronically ill. I think one of the biggest benefits is allowing specialists once they treat somebody who's chronically ill, to be able to monitor their conditions with remote monitoring. So mm-hmm. they don't need to leave the house every time. They can, all their conditions can be remotely monitored and checked on and evaluated um, over a 24-hour period. Um, so where does telehealth go f- from here? I mean, obviously, we've got, we've got what we have now, but mm-hmm. where do you see it going in, in, in advancements in telehealth care? Man, that's a really great question. I do know that when it comes to government policy, a lot of work still needs to be done. Um, there was a omnibus funding package at the federal level that extended a lot of this telehealth flexibility for mm-hmm. a couple more years. But ultimately, it needs to be made permanent. Telehealth mm-hmm. is so uniquely suited to helping seniors. And we just can't afford to have it lapse in another two years. Even though COVID is gone, it effectively serves so many different health conditions. And we got to make sure that those services and that flexibility and that freedom is still available. Yeah, it seems to me that if there's going to be a barrier mm-hmm. to advancements in telehealth, it's likely to be government mm-hmm. and government regulation yeah. and, and us not just allowing people to, to experiment and, and, and provide good quality care through this. Yes. Yeah, as advancements come. Uh, Charlie, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been an amazing uh, journey to learn more about telehealth. And some of the states, let me ask you this. What Are there other states that we really need to work on to, to keep telehealth? What are some of the states that we still have to reform it so that we have the ability to do telehealth in those states? Texas is a big one. Um, they've been making some really positive steps. I do know that they have a fantastic bill coming up uh, this session that would allow healthcare providers in other states, doctors and nurses, um, to be able to treat uh, residents in Texas um, through telehealth without needing to get a Texas license. So that's a really big change, and I think it would be really impactful for for people, especially living in rural areas that don't have in-person doctors to rely on. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots of states that this we still need to do these reforms in so that they're permanent. And I would just encourage you, if you're listening to this, uh, to this episode, that, that there's ways that you can get involved through Americans for Prosperity 
where you can affect change on telehealth and other regulations. And again, what you if you'll if you'll send me an email, you can send an email to Jeff at American AmericanPotential.com, and if you'll send me an email there, uh, we can make sure that we get you hooked up with your state director in your state, and that you can get engaged. You can make a difference because that's what's really happened is Americans have come forward on telehealth and they're making a difference in their state uh, and in the lives of their fellow citizens. So uh, Charlie Katibi, the Senior Health Policy Analyst with Americans for Prosperity. Thanks for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be back next time with another edition of American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.